if I could keep this voice without the crud, I would be set up. Huh? That's right. <laughs> so uh, I uh, wandered out of uh, bed and uh, put on some clothes, and uh, I'm here tonight with you, and I'm happy to be here. And whether or not you're happy that I'm here, you're happy that I put on some clothes before I came. So that, that we have down. Uh, we're missing Ann tonight, uh, our good friends, Kip and Pam Jacob. Uh, Kip's the lead pastor at one of our sister churches, South Lake Foursquare Church. Uh, they got snowed in in New York this weekend. And so, uh, tough place to get stuck, right? Manhattan, yeah. So uh, Ann is at South Lake this weekend uh, getting to talk there. And plus, you know, she's been hogging stuff. You know, just because I got two in a row, she took the last two. So I'm, I've got a lot of things to say tonight. And... Uh, uh, probably better for you that I'm uh, kind of sick than not, because I have all kinds of pent-up stuff, Ron. I could just uh, tonight. So, hey, do we have a, you have one of my favorite Far Side cartoons. Does that one come up? Is that one there? The Boneless Chicken Ranch? Have you seen this? This is retro. This is old school. Yeah. Is that fun or what? The Boneless Chicken Ranch. You know, back in my pre-weird days, uh, when I used to eat such things, I loved boneless chicken breast, but I never really imagined that it came from boneless chicken ranches. What a, what a wonderful thing. Doesn't that just look wrong? Just sick and wrong, as my kids would say. That is not an attractive thing. Well, you know, tonight we're going to be, as we continue our march through Acts, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, as we're asking this question, Lord, who are you calling us to be as a church? And what are you calling us to do in this next year, in this fresh decade? And tonight we're talking about a church that is growing rapidly. That's a good thing, isn't it? Doesn't that feel good? Wouldn't that be a great thing? And is experiencing some severe inner difficulties. When I heard people say over the years, we just really want to be a New Testament church, what I really want to say to them is, you've got to be kidding me. That is such a lot of problems. That is such a messy business. Well, it went away, but it looks a lot like the boneless chicken ranch because what happened here in the church of Acts was that it experienced incredible growth and simultaneously huge divisive problems. It is a story of three things. Great growth, more leaders being developed and extended, and huge problems. And that's what we're going to read tonight in Acts chapter 6 as we talk about a church loving so much that it was willing to change. Let's take a look, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, You know, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven Hmong from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and, and now we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group they chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procroas, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's what it says. I want you to notice that in the very first verse, it gives us the context that the church was experiencing. Talk back to me. What was the church experiencing? Verse 1. Growth. Wonderful thing. Not really, but a wonderful thing. Let's stay positive about that. A beautiful thing, this growth thing. And what did the church experience after they faced a problem and discovered and deployed new leaders? Verse 7. You're right. You're not saying it, but you're absolutely right. Increasing growth. In fact, you can, you can describe it this way. The church was growing well enough, and then it experienced great growth. Went from good to great growth. Or you could say the church was growing by addition, 
and now it was growing by multiplication. Or you could say it was growing well, and now it was growing exponentially. Or as Joel, one of our council members, likes to say, if you were to plot it out, it would be a hockey stick kind of growth. By the way, did the U.S. and Canada play today? Tomorrow? Oh, you folks are so into the Olympics. I'm impressed. I have a hunch if the game was tonight, or at least broadcast tonight, I would be lonely here. Wow. So, hockey stick, that's what was happening here. This is the context. And you know, part of me really likes that kind of context, because it feels so right, doesn't it? That everyday people would be coming to know Jesus, that's the big deal. And that as a result of that, the church would be growing. You know, one of our problems around here is we don't really know how to figure out how to count people who are saved. You know that's a problem, don't you? It's a problem in most churches, at least in the Western world. Do you count the number of people who open their eyes and lift their hand? That's a good thing. Do you count the number of people that take yes packets on the way out? That's a good thing. How do you know and count a conversion? That's a tough thing. What I do know is this. That if all of the people who have been saved and reported as such in the United States in the last 10 years actually were, this nation would be saved several times over. I know that's true. It's just hard for us to know how to count. But the point is, people were genuinely coming to Christ, and however they counted them, the church was growing. There was more of them participating. That is the environment. But what happened right here? that allowed the church to go from increasing to greatly increasing growth. They dealt with an internal problem and issue, and they did it in a way that's exemplary for us. It's the very first internal problem that the church encountered. To this point, the problems they experienced were external. Persecution, being misunderstood, etc. Now they're having to deal with an internal problem. And don't you know that internal problems are difficult to deal with? It's like the family getting together for a reunion and fighting. It's really not that fun. So we learn three great things tonight from these folks about how they dealt with this problem in a way that allowed Jesus to continue not only growth, but great growth. Our conviction is this. No one ever builds the church. We believe that, don't we? Jesus said very clearly, I will build my church. And nowhere did he ever delegate that responsibility to others. As great as the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and other leaders were, they never took credit for building the church. Paul was very careful. And he said, one, some of us sow and some of us water, but here's the, here's the quote, but God gives the growth. The growth, the building of the church of Jesus Christ in every century has always been the work of Jesus. So the question comes, why does he seem to do that more through some than through others? Isn't that an interesting question? And that's a complex, and we don't have all the answers, but we do know this. That God always looks for faith partners with him. As is your faith, be it unto you, Jesus frequently said. So where he finds people who will partner with him in ways that instead of creating ceilings on how he can use them, they open those ceilings in faith and partner with what he's doing. And then if he chooses to grow his church through and among them, He's welcomed to do that. So our part is to be a church. Answering this question, Lord, who are you calling Evergreen to be and what are you calling us to do? Part of the answer is we want to be a place that refuses to put artificial ceilings on the way things are. To be faith partners so that if he chooses to use Evergreen in some remarkable and increasing ways, that we're partners that he can participate with. We participate with him. Every system, by the way, if you're a note taker, and I know, I have noticed since I've been here, many of you take just copious notes. You do, I know. Actually, I'm kidding. A few of you do. (laughs) Most of you say, dear, if he says something worth writing down, would you remember that for me and we'll write that 
we'll write that on the way. No. This would be worth, worth taking notes on. But you don't have to, because I'm around for a long time, and I'll say it frequently. Are you ready for this one? Don't think you've heard this one from me before. Every system is perfectly designed to give the results it's giving. Every system is perfectly designed to give the results it's giving. So I drove a Toyota product here tonight. I got here a little bit late. No, 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 no. I'm not going to get on that bandwagon. I love my Toyota car. We have a whole fleet in our family. It's a beautiful thing. But, you know, watching the news stuff the last couple of weeks, I wondered if that system of a car really was perfectly designed to get me here or not. It was effective tonight. Your home is a system. It is designed to keep you dry and warm. When the system doesn't work so well, there's a systems problem. This building was designed to keep this roof up tonight, and we trusted enough that we came inside here. Every system is perfectly designed to give the results it's giving. Marriage was a relationship, a system that was designed to provide a nurturing, safe, growing, loving, committed environment for children to be born into. If that's not a description of a marriage, then the marriage system that this couple has chosen to put together isn't designed that way. But it is perfectly designed to give the results that it's giving. This church in the first century was perfectly designed to give the results it was getting. It was perfectly designed to ignore the needs of Grecian widows. And it was doing a bang-up job at it. Yes, perfectly designed to give unsatisfactory results. That's why they had a systems change. So it could be perfectly designed to give the loving results that they wanted to give. As a younger pastor, it has been a while, I know, you don't have to mention that to me. But as a young pastor, I remember preaching eloquently. Oh, it wasn't eloquent, but it was passionate, passionate. Once thought, if you act passionate enough, it'll make up for poor content. You're too smart to let me get away with that. But I remember, and I was talking about change, and I was so excited and enthusiastic about change, as, you know, a 27-year-old, probably at the time, would be and should be. I remember just a woman not looking happy, just strode right down the center aisle at the end of that service, and she said, young man, I'm just sick and tired of you talking about change. Change this, change that. I like myself the way I am. I like my life the way it is. I like the world the way it is. I don't need to change. And I looked at her stunned, stunned. I knew all kinds of places she should change. I, we had a short relationship. I'm sure she went someplace that didn't put that kind of pressure on her. But this whole change thing. And so what they did was they said, we have a system here that takes the 12, the proper name for the 12 apostles. Now they'd added this Matthias guy to it. And they were doing a whole bunch of things. They were good guys. They were praying and they were studying scripture and they were teaching and they were receiving money that people were coming and putting at their feet and they were giving it out to poor people and they were arranging that the widows who were there would have daily meals. These were 12 busy guys. And they were inadvertently ignoring a very real need. And it had racial, ethnic, linguistic, geographic, cultural undertones to it. The ugly kind of blindness, isn't it? Where we are so myopic in our kind of people that we simply design systems to take care of ourselves at the exclusion of people that don't look like us. That's the ugliness of what was happening here. And when it came to the attention that these Grecian Jews, who are they? Well, they're these women who had come, migrated toward Jerusalem, probably very likely had come for the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost, and they had accepted Jesus, and now there was no place for them to go home to experience their faith. If they went home, they would have been engaged in their Jewish synagogue that would not have become Christ followers of the Messiah yet. And so many people got stuck in Jerusalem to grow up in the faith, this thing they called the way. 
And as was the Jewish tradition, and by the way, the, of course, the way the church was practicing at this time was carrying over most of its Jewish practices into their Christian faith and expression. They would care for widows, and now there's all these foreigners who had showed up as well. They didn't have family networks very likely. By definition, they were alone, and they were being left out. And so there were some people who came to the Twelve, and they probably said it nicer than this, but they could have said this. There's a whole group of the church And they happen to come from a different place geographically and culturally and socially. They happen to sound a little bit different linguistically. And they may look a little bit different racially. They may have come to Jewish faith differently. But right now we're all the same because we are one in Christ. And so they said, we need to change things around here. Because we have a system perfectly designed to ignore a whole group of people that we want to love. So how are we going to redesign things? So the ministry flows to people that we love and want to care for. And they did that by differentiating their role. The twelve said, well, I, we can't do that. We're already doing that. We can't do more. Maybe it would make sense for us actually to do less. Maybe we should, instead of doing these five things, we should give ourselves to two of the five, prayer and the ministry of the word, And then we should find leaders who are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and they can do this other thing. So we can do what we uniquely are called to do, and others can do what they can do well, and the result will be, we'll have a leadership base that's larger, and ministry will be happening better, and people will be loved more adequately. And guess what happened when they reorganized the system? It gave better results. And what did God do? Now the church grew, increased greatly. And a large number of priests came to the faith. What does that mean? People who as a category of folks had been resistant to following Jesus now began committing their lives to him. So now, not only did the church grow, I lost my black pen. Now, not only did the church grow in this hockey stick kind of way, which is two-dimensional, but if I had the capacity, which I don't, to describe this in three-dimensional terms, the church not only grew in numbers, but it grew in kinds of people. It grew bigger, and it grew broader. That's what happened. And why would it be possible for Jesus now to broaden the church so that a group of people that previously, who didn't look like me, now were coming to faith did? Could it be that the church participated by faith in saying there's some people here that look and sound and come from different backgrounds from us? We're going to find ways to love them? And as the church did, Jesus found ways to bring a whole nother kind of different people our way. And wouldn't it be true? I'm I'm guessing that this is true. It's just, it'd be crazy to vote on it. Wouldn't we, probably almost every person here, if not all of us, agree today? May that be. May that be evergreen. May the Lord find us a place that if He chooses to favor us with increasing growth, that it would not only be numbers of people coming to faith, but an ever-increasing broadness of the kinds of people who come to faith. And that as Evergreen grows forward, that it would be this beautiful mosaic, more and more looking like the, the Bride of Christ. Well, there's three things that I mentioned that we want to take a look at. I've already talked about them, which is good news to you, because now I can just wrap up the conclusion and we can go, right? So. Maybe in your dreams, maybe. (laughs) The first thing that we see that they did as they faced this problem was they discerned the goal. What's the goal here? You know what the goal is of Evergreen, don't you? That lots and lots of people would come to know Jesus here. And that's just our history, it's our present, it's our future, that's what we're about. It was a couple of weeks ago, um, some of the team, the uh, pastors on staff... um, 
joined us and we went to a half-day seminar. It was a wonderful time. And while I was there, met an, an old friend and we took a couple of minutes in a break to become reacquainted. And he's uh, <clears throat> quite familiar with Evergreen and don't think he's ever been a part of this church, but pretty well informed. And he did a very interesting thing in our conversation. Uh, he said, Jared, first of all, he said, we're hearing wonderful things uh, about Evergreen. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Whoever talked with him, thank you. Appreciate that. There's a lot of stories that can be told about Evergreen. I understand. Um, that was, a, I was glad. So I said, God's doing wonderful things. The congregation is so great. And then he said a very curious thing because he was trying to figure out how things could be going well, at least for some of us. He said, well, you know, he said, you and, and Anne, you have such a history of an experience of uh, a history of ministry and experience with things. And he said, I'm sure that people have really responded to that and they trust you. And you know, we're in a hall. You know, this is not a time for a conversation. But can I tell you what I wish I could have told him? You've got to be kidding. These dear folks who are absolutely wonderful couldn't care less where we came from. They really, really don't. In fact, I would have told him, there's a whole 20-year period of our life that we hardly make reference to. Because frankly... It doesn't make much difference, does it? You know, our resume, our experience, our Vita, stuff that we've written, you know, education, our resume, do we really care? None of you have asked me for my resume. None of you have. Some of you have probably done background checks on me, but none of you have asked for my resume. Now, what I said to him was this. I said, this wonderful congregation that really has been well before we came and while we have been here as servants and leaders is open to and willing to change, not because of some leader's credentials, but because if it has the hope and promise of more people being saved, they'll change for that. That's the big deal. If we think Jesus will use us to include more people in his family, that's the stuff of change. That's where they started. What's the goal? Know what the goal is. We know what the goal is here. Whatever it takes for more people in this community, within our reach and touch, and our influence, because it's not just here, but it's near, and it's also far, as Dan and Tammy come at the conclusion of our service today and talk about our reach that gets to go into Nepal as well. Wherever it is, it's always about people coming to know Jesus. Discern the goal. That's the very first thing that they had in mind. And when it comes to our church, when it comes to Evergreen, a very interesting thing is happening, has happened over the years. You know, this is a relatively old church, as you know, 78 years old. And uh, most churches don't survive. There's a very a tiny, tiny percentage of churches in North America that are the age of our church. Churches don't naturally get this old. Did you know that? They naturally die off much, much sooner. They do. I'm serious about that. And the, if you were to take an attendance kind of a chart of our church over the 78 years, it was kind of something, something like this. It's kind of like that over 78 years. And do you know, this is unbelievable. Ed, you brought, crazy, a, a, a document listing all of the pastors at this church. Did you know that Ann and I are the 30th? appointment here? Do you know that you survived 30 of these things? Whoa! That is just insane. Hard to believe. Maybe the reason this church has done so well for 78 years is that you've gotten rid of us so quickly over time. And I don't know. Let's not do the cause and effect thing tonight. That's, a, that's dangerous. That's dangerous stuff for people like me. But this is an amazing thing. And and God has done a great and gracious thing here at Evergreen. And we thank Him for every season of the life of this church, don't we? Every season. And you know what Ann and I think and feel and express about the history of this church, recent and long-term. Gratitude, respect, appreciation. Absolutely, 100%. But it's okay for us, too, to ask very real questions, isn't it? So if we were just to take the last 4% of the life of Evergreen, by the way, if you're a guest here tonight, we're really glad you're here, really. You're kind of, we've invited you into some family stuff, haven't we? 
We hope that that's fun for you and not awkward. I don't think it'll be awkward, but we just want you to know that we're really open around here. So this is the kind of stuff we just talk about. And when it really goes south is when I talk this openly about my life. So come back, and maybe next week you'll hear about that. But if we were to take a look at what our experience was in terms of numerical stuff over the last uh, three and a half years or so, it was on this kind of a trajectory. That's a reality. It's not a judgment. It's, it's what was happening. By the way, there's very good churches, very good reasons for churches to decrease. I'm not drawing any inferences or making any conclusions about here, but there's some very good reasons. Jesus himself drew crowds of thousands, didn't he? And how many ended up really believing in him in the upper room after he died? 120? And did he come back and say, where's the thousands? No. The number thing is, is is not the big deal, but it's an indicator. But the question is, every system's perfectly designed to give the results that it's giving, and so... Where are we in terms of attendance and income and assets and those kinds of things? And we happen to be in this phase, which has been repeated over time here at Evergreen. Now, it's perfectly fine for churches to die with dignity. Really. In fact, one of the saddest things is when churches should die with dignity and refuse to. It is an amazing thing. A few years ago, uh, I was doing consulting and happened to be working with um, uh, another denomination here in the Northwest. And one of their churches is here in the greater Portland area. And it had just celebrated its 105th birthday, had an absolutely beautiful building and property. It was lush and gorgeous and well-maintained. And the congregation said that it wanted to grow. It wanted to become revitalized. Isn't that a beautiful word? Revitalized. And so I came in as a consultant, and we did some assessment, and I met with the people and delightful folks, and tended to be quite an aging congregation, which is perfectly fine. And I I was astounded, though, at how much facility they were keeping intact with a very small congregation. And what they'd done is they'd leased out to a Christian school who was providing lots of money. So they they had a financial base that was adequate for them to continue to do business the way they wanted. But they said, what we really want to do is to grow. And so we had some conversations and some analysis, and I always ask the question, why do you want to grow? Isn't that reasonable? Don't assume why people want to grow. Well, I discovered that they own a cemetery a mile and a half from the church building. And they all bought plots there, and they all want to have their funeral in the church building and be buried in the cemetery, and they want the cemetery to be endowed so that their graves are well-tended in perpetuity. I kid you not. An evangelical church that believes as we believe that the desperate need for the world is salvation in Jesus Christ, and they would proclaim that as loudly as we, but all of their behaviors indicated that what they really wanted was to survive so they would be buried in their plot and their graves would be tended. That's a church that needs to die with dignity. Wouldn't we agree? Well, it needs to die. Some of you that are less gracious would say they don't deserve the dignity. But the question for us as a congregation, before Ann and I came, the question for you as a church and for our leaders, elder council, for our overseer, Larry Spousta, um, our, our district supervisor, the question was, Lord, what do you have envisioned in your heart for Evergreen? And it was clear, as we heard, that the vision was a different vision than ending now. The vision was God has great things to use us for now and into the future. And you affirm that, don't you? That was really our feeling. That was your feeling. And so we came and our mission, should you choose to accept it, (laughs) was to see if we could help the church kind of level off here, bring some stability to that. And this last eight months have been a lot of that. And in fact, God has been gracious in so many ways. And in fact, the, the growth tick has actually been up by a percentage. I don't know, 12 or 20 or something. Every month over the last six or eight months, every month, the average attendance on the weekend has increased a little bit. And we thank God for that. that that's, that's His deal. It's not our deal. All that means is that more people came than left. And we, we, we have that in perspective. But basically, it was a time of stabilizing thing. And so now we're at this place of asking the question, so what's the vision? What's the future? What does it look like? 
does God want to increase our growth? Is that what he's up to? So when I talk to people, I hear them talking at times like this and say, of course, why would God not want to do that? The question may not be so much, how certain are we that God wants to use us in, a, in ways that are demonstrated in part by increasing numbers of people coming to the faith and making this their church community to grow forward. We count those things. The question may not be so much, how certain are we about that, as it is, what kind of changes might we need to make to partner with him if that's what he wants to do here? Who are our Grecian widows that we may have perfectly designed ourselves to ignore? Inadvertent, not a lack of care, but a lack of vision for that. And what might it look like for us to give our attention, as they did in Acts chapter 6, to the discovery of what those issues might be, and asking the question of, Lord, if we, uh, what steps can we take in, in moving forward? Because the second thing we discover from them is that they defined priorities and responsibilities. And they said, you know, if we have hit a glitch here, that is going to cause us to love people less than we intend to, we're going to have to do some prioritization. There's some things that we used to do, the 12 speaking, that we're not going to do anymore. But there's some things that we used to do that others are going to need to do. And there's some whole new things that need to be done. And we're going to need to organize for that as we move forward. So the prioritization, the selection, the deployment, the indicating of responsibilities for people moving forward. And this is where change comes into play, isn't it? I've, I may have told you my favorite bumper sticker. Do you remember it? Oh, I'm glad you didn't. You have amnesia too. Because if I have said it, you haven't remembered, you'll enjoy it like it's the first time. Here it is. I like change. You go first. <laughs> I love that. But isn't change tough? Isn't it tough? Now, some of you are just wired goofy, and so you love change all the time. I happen to be prone toward one of those things. But honestly, for most of us, if things are going well enough, things are going well enough. In fact, we would rather deal with the mediocre known present than the potential great but uncertain future. That's the nature of change. At least I know the way things are now. I had, uh, I've had some just some really uh, bittersweet uh, conversations and communications with people who have left the church over the last few months. And uh, I always beg for a face-to-face -face conversation. I just communication is so much richer and better and more accurate face-to-face. But I'm proud of people, um, you know, a few folks that have left, that have at least been willing to communicate by email. Because that takes courage. And I respect that and honor that. And if they don't care to take the next step of actually a face-to-face -face meeting, I, I get that too. I wish for that, but I get that. And had one uh, a few weeks ago that was just, it was so bittersweet. And they talked about some things, and basically it was just kind of, Jared, and we're just kind of fed up with you. It was kind of a... It was a little personal in how it sounded, and, and I get that, and probably well-deserved. But, you know, that cup of tea thing really wasn't working for them. You know, it was, a, it was a bitter cup, I guess, instead of a sweet deal. But, but then they were expressing this, and this is the point tonight that was so tender for me. They said, you know, this church hasn't really felt like our church since Mark and Kathy left. That's what they said. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands tonight, but some of you could join them and say, you know, this really worked for me. You know, it really worked for the Hebraic Jews. It really worked for them. Can you imagine the Apostle Peter feeding you lunch every day? That works. I would like that. And who cares about those funny-speaking Grecian Jews anyway? In fact, they even smell different. 
it really worked for some, but it really didn't work for others. And when they made the change, it was a change for all. And what I was just recognizing that, you know, Evergreen has been experiencing great change in the last few years. And it worked really well for some. And then, you know, old A and J show up. And guess what the last eight months have been? Did, did any of you miss the changes that may have been happening? And we've been trying to be moderate. You know that. We just can't. But we've been really honestly, sincerely trying. But you've noticed that there's been some change. Okay? And that change has, if you were just to take this one-dimensional little thing, provided some stability in terms of who we are organizationally and that sort of thing. But guess what might happen if we partner with addressing some things that could potentially invite the Lord to increase? Guess what that next season will look like? Of course. Yeah, change. Because change always is associated with growth, isn't it? Always. Not all change is growth. Some change is negative and detrimental. But all growth is change. So when I become more like Jesus, I've changed. When Evergreen becomes more like Jesus, it changes. And I felt in that communication that I had the pain of saying, this used to be a place that worked for us, that we connected with. It was home for us. It was family and then there was a change that happened. And when that change happened, we lost our bearings and our connection in the middle of that. And it's different for us now. And we're leaving now to find another place because this place doesn't work that well for us anyway. Is it okay to have this kind of honest conversation? And doesn't it feel like a lot of respect in the room tonight? Just saying... It's okay. It's okay to follow Jesus in His next best steps for you. I'm a human being, and I sure hope it's here. Really, really, really hope it's here. But the respect says this, that all of us follow Jesus, and we understand that a, a, a point in time, just as it did in Acts 6, works very well for some, and doesn't work that well for others. Because every system is perfectly designed to give the results it's giving. And when you redesign the system, it gives different results. And the different results are going to be very helpful for some others. But maybe less favorable for some that previously really liked the results. That's the nature of this thing. So first of all, they discerned the goal. And the second thing that they did was they defined their priorities and responsibilities. And I'm so deep into this, and I'm so drugged up, that, you know, I could probably say, uh, take advantage of me tonight, and uh, don't hold it against me as much as you would otherwise, because he just got out of bed after all, and he's kind of goofy tonight. But, you know, we have a very interesting thing coming up. And Wednesday night, you're invited to come and have a conversation about this. Because we don't know exactly where it's going to go. But this is just an interesting thing. On our uh, weekend services for the past uh, 12 months or so, uh, if we were to do a 0, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600, 700 thing, our attendance has kind of done one of these things over that period of time. A okay? little bit of increase. Thank God for that. It's a wonderful thing. Did you know that midweek, that well over 400 people participate here in midweek services? Hmm? You know that? Whatever that little thing is, it's kind of like that. About 75% of the number of adults that participate here in a weekend service are engaged, adults and students, are engaged midweek. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that phenomenal? Wow. That has everything to do with many of you that are here tonight. I have a list here. Because of time, I'm not going to get to name people by name. I'm looking across the room. Your names were on my list. There is an amazing team of remarkable leaders who serve in so many ways through this church every week or every month. It is amazing. The ministry that's going on, the groups, the collections of people, the ministry, the outreach, the work, the volunteerism. It is amazing how you serve. The teams. It's amazing. 
And that's the story of what happens midweek here. Do you know what's happening with students midweek here? Oh, man, this is just nuts. <laughs> that little growth curve thing, and I don't know where it is back here, but it has gone something like this. Uh, Ten days ago on Wednesday night, there were 132 students and student and adult leaders crammed down into this little student ministries room. 132. Yeah. It is astounding what God is doing. Many of those students come over and spend several hours here. They come directly over from uh, Evergreen uh, Junior High, and they play, and many of you are there, and you help them, and you serve them, and these kids are getting loved. And it is the most wild, raucous, smelly, noisy, beautiful time of my week. I don't miss Wednesday afternoons around here. It's just so fun to fight my way through the hall and enjoy the, the raucous experience of these kids being loved. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. Kids are committing their lives to Christ. A whole bunch of them went off to the winter retreat. Many of you provided scholarships for them. They came back. Their lives are changed. I get to talk weekly with parents saying, what's going on over there? The principal is delighted with what we're doing. God's the year of the Lord's favor. If you want to look for favor, peek in while you can't get in the room. They're literally sitting in the hall when they meet at 7 o'clock. You can't get in the room. But take a walk by and see what the year of the Lord's favor looks like. Now, this is just kind of interesting. Do you, know, do you know what our experience is in this room on Wednesday nights? Now, we've done, you've done over the years, all kinds of things. And it's just Wednesday nights have just zigged and zagged, right? The concert, it's huge. And Alpha in the past, it was huge. And Richard Shaw comes for his first week, and it's huge. But, you know, last week, other than the people who were putting on the event, there were 28 of us who came on Wednesday night for the service from 7 to 8. Now, there's a variety of things to think and feel about that. I find it just deliciously curious. Yeah. Because I look for favor, not for attendance. Right? So what is it that God's doing is always our question. So I can't honestly tell you what God's doing in this room on Wednesday nights. I'm curious. If you want to come this Wednesday night, we'll talk about it. Because this is an opportunity for us to change. Okay? But I can tell you what God's favor looks like down the hall in a place that isn't adequate in terms of its space to house the blessing that God is bringing. And so then we end up with these curious questions of what would it look like if we switched spaces? That'd be interesting. Yeah, let's go with favor. Or what would it look like if these 28 folks joined the 38 folks that are already serving those kids, and we actually put on a party. I mean, we did a whole meal. We fed them well, not just chips out of the crummy vending machine down here. We actually partnered together in a way that said, for this season of time, we're going to go with what God is blessing and see how we can be of service to that. I just got out of bed. I'm drugged, okay? I'm just got out of bed. I'm drugged. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday night. Let's wrap it up with the third thing that we see them do. Because they not only discerned the need, and they not only defined priorities and responsibilities, but they developed and they released more and different leaders. More and different leaders. I missed you last uh, Wednesday, uh, Saturday night. None of you, as I greeted you, mentioned that you missed me. I understand that. I don't take it personally. This was Saturday night was a long time ago. Uh, I was on my way uh, home from Woodby Island. I uh, got to be a part of the Sunday morning services, but I missed you last Wednesday night. And while I was there uh, over the weekend, I was doing some training for 75 uh, young men and women who are preparing to go out and plant churches. And so uh, in the story of leadership, uh, one of the examples I used was uh, our sister church in Billings, Montana. Now, almost all of you are very familiar with Stan and Ginger Simmons, 33 years ago, sent from here to go pastor that church. Still leading there. That church is going well. I have a weekly phone appointment with Stan. That church is experiencing a growth spurt. A growth spurt. It's phenomenal. So I was using this uh, story for uh, the good folks uh, up at Woodby Island about what a 33-year history looked like under uh, Stan and Ginger's leadership. And they came, and there were about 30 people. And right now, they're experiencing 5,000-plus, and they're in a growth spurt. Now, this is the amazing thing. This is the amazing thing. That if you were to chart the growth of the church, the rate of growth from this point, 
For 25 years, it was a constant rate of growth. Those of you that are mathematicians, I just messed with you. I know that. Stay with me. Okay. Constant rate of growth. <clears throat> and then they planted three churches in their region, and their growth took a dip for four years as they did that church planting thing. And then they recovered, and right now they are in an amazing growth spurt. That is an unprecedented story of three and a half decades in the local congregation. It's absolutely astounding. So people were saying, well, can you tell us maybe how that happened? Because that would be fun if that happened some other places that I'm familiar with or might be leading. And I did this, and I know it's been painful to watch me try to draw. It has been difficult and painful. This is my last one. I'm pretty sure it's my last one. So I said, you know, the story that we see today of Faith Chapel, if we were to create a pyramid, is a story that looks like this. And that pyramid has been ever-increasing, and it started, though, right here. A little baby pyramid, a 30-people pyramid. And the leadership core base of that team was just big enough to serve that wonderful congregation. Passionately loved Jesus, cared for the lost, prayed, served, and loved one another. And the Lord brought a couple of leaders, Stan and Ginger, and when they joined that team, you know, it allowed that church to grow a little bigger. Because the story of Acts is a story of problems being solved and leaders being deployed. That's the story of the book of Acts. And over time, I said that I have watched this church, and I've been a student of that church for 25 of the 33 years, I have watched the church consistently expand its leadership base. And when it expanded its leadership base, God grew the church into it. Every system is perfectly designed to give the results that it's giving. And I said, this most recent growth spurt that I took time for them that I won't take time with you, but really has allowed this thing to take place, is very identifiable, the steps that God called that church to do in expanding its leadership base. So we learn these things about the church in Acts, and we're going to wrap it up here. The first thing that they did was they knew what their assignment is, and we know what ours is, don't we? Many people coming to know Jesus people that look like us and people that don't look like us. Many people coming to know Jesus. So the second thing is, how are we going to cooperate with that and defining priorities and responsibilities? Well, we're going to be courageous enough to have conversations like we'll have Wednesday night in saying, what might God be calling us to do with an experience of a worship service on Wednesday nights that had a 78-year history. So we're going to be respectful and we're going to be tender about the stewardship of that, but we're going to be courageous enough to ask the question, God, what are you calling us to do with partner? We just have to do that sort of thing to be able to move forward with what God has for us. And then finally, to develop and release more leaders. And so there'll be leaders coming in, and there'll be leaders raised up, and leaders deployed, and leaders going out. But we know that this is a place that God has called us to be. When we came, we asked the church, we asked the leaders, what is your sense of God's vision for Evergreen? And this is what we heard. We are called to be strong. We're called to be kid and student loving. Call to be evangelistic. Call to be growing and leader developing and a four-generation church. That's what we heard. By God's grace, may it be so in ever-increasing ways. Amen. Well, what's the so what for you? Let me just ask a couple of questions. Don't answer, answer out loud, but... But think about them. How are you feeling about changes right now in your life? And some of you came tonight with some deep personal stuff going on. It's okay to acknowledge that. Jesus feels with you about that. And how are you feeling about 
change with and around and among us. How do you feel about that? And then my question is, what is God saying to you about how you're to participate in that? Because at the end of the day, it's all about what he's calling us to do, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I hope that Ann and I have positioned ourselves, along with the rest of the leadership team, to, to be open and sincere and humble and engaging in the process. You know, no Moses on the mountain here. We didn't come stomping in and saying, this is who we are and this is our vision and y'all come. It wasn't the spirit, the intention, the manner at all. But can we also say that we're at the point now of the third season of change, a change that happened before we came, a change that happened since we've been here, and now changes that we're asking of, Lord, are there some ceilings that we have placed on this church that you're calling us to remove that could allow you, if you wanted, to favor us and bless us with the kind of growth that we feel in our hearts that you want to do? And tonight, the invitation for you is to just say yes to whatever he's calling you to do, which may be for some of you, committing your life to Jesus for the very first time. You know, this growth that happened, happened because people just like you and me said, I want to sign up for this thing. I need Jesus Christ in my life. I want to become a Christ follower. I've sinned. I want to repent, turn around, receive his forgiveness, be filled with his spirit, and become a part of his family, and forever being a Christ follower. And that may be the decision and the choice that you're making tonight. You know, sometimes we do this. Let's do it tonight, would you? Let's all just kind of close our eyes for a minute and give others that prefer not to be exposed to large groups of people publicly. Some of us do, not all of us do. Tonight, if you're here to get right with Jesus, we're just going to pray a simple prayer, if that's you. But I'm opening my eyes while others have theirs closed. I'm looking off to your right and my left. And if tonight you're here to get right with God, you're saying yes to Jesus, receiving his forgiveness. Would you open your eyes, look at me real big, lift up your hand so I don't miss you. I'm moving across now to the center part of the... Uh, of the congregation, and off to, I see you, is that why your eyes are open? I see you, I see that hand, best decision of your whole life, I see your smile, you feel it, you know it, this is what God's word says, that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that's what he's doing for you tonight, and I see you right here, God bless you, the Bible tells us, that as you confess your sin, that Jesus forgives you. And tonight, it's a new start for you. Your eyes are open. That's why your eyes are open. Yeah, this is it. And tonight, as, we, as you ask Jesus to forgive you, he just comes in, lives with you. You're a part of this deal forever. It's his plan for you. God bless you. I'm looking way off to your left now. and I want to make sure that I don't miss someone. Doing one scan across the whole room now. You want to join these three? Would you all together, out loud, pray this simple but profound prayer with me? God, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I confess my sin. I receive your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, fill me now. And help me follow Jesus every day of my life. Amen. 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 Amen.